Do we want to say Christmas sucks and I can prove it, or Christmas comics suck and I can prove it? It's up to you. I think we're going to say Christmas 2022 sucks and I can prove it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> By the comics we we picked. Oh, um, you picked a doozy. I think I win. <laughs> you easily win, yes, because I never wanted to read that book in my life. And now having read it, I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I think your, I think your book, good, Scott, we've got a was really like... good mix because we've got a book that is horribly offensive and just plain awful. We've got a book that's hard on the eyes, and then we got a book that's hard on the brain. So I think between the three of us, we got. I think all three are a little hard on the brain. <laughs> Scott's is like high art compared to. <laughs> At, you know, at, least, at least Scott's attempted to be a good story. No. It may not have succeeded, but it tried. No. No, you don't no. think it tried? No, I didn't. I know. It's shit. It, it, I'm not saying it's not shit. Don't get me wrong. Back to the bin. Hello, hello, hello. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. I'm Paul Spataro. This is Back to the Bins. I'm here with Scott Gardner and Dave Pascarella, and we're here to prove to you that not all Christmas comics make you feel good inside. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Oh, good. I, I'm, I'm going to love this episode, I can tell already. Now, Scott threw out the gauntlet. I, I had said, let's just do Christmas books. And Scott said, you know, Paul, you suck. Which, usually, that's how most of our conversations start. Uh, <laughs> he said, you know, you, 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 you're mailing it in. He said, let's come up with a theme here. Let's see who can pick the shittiest Christmas book. So, with the gauntlet thrown, I feel I've really come up big. He's doing Metropolis mailbag. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, we all, we all picked out Christmas books, and the idea is not to make you feel good inside. The, the idea is to make you say, wow, these, these companies were actually willing to put this crap out there just to take advantage of your good nature that you'd buy it because it's a Christmas book. Yep. Am I missing anything there? <laughs> no. So my, my, the, the genesis of this is uh, somebody said something in one of our, you know, when we were trying to work something out, said something about Christmas sucking. And I just got to thinking about, you know, most, not all of them, but most Christmas comics I've ever read are pretty stupid. So I was like, why you know wouldn't it be fun to purposely because we always we've said many times how much fun this show is when you bring a book that's just stupid or you know it's just a bad book but we don't generally do that intentionally so this time i was like what if we intentionally brought like just the worst book you could find and i left worse up to your personal interpretation whether that was like the worst art the dumbest story, you know, just whatever. Worst I think I, I think I got the trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, so and, and I want to give the heads up. 
I want to give the heads up because there are people I know who listen who say, oh, if you're not going to put do stuff you like, why bother doing it all? So if if that's your feeling, if you're tuning in to hear us, you know, fawn over a book and praise it, this is not the episode. We do do that on occasion, <laughs> but not today. Mm-hmm. Today we're basically going to talk, you know, we'll give our synopsis and we're going to talk about how bad they are. Uh, right. I don't even think we should rate them on the A to F scale that we normally do because – uh, you know, we're going to want to say F, 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 F or whatever, but, you know, let's just, we'll just, we'll go through our three and we'll, we'll talk about like, you know, what were they thinking, I think is essentially the question to be asked. Every time a page turns, an angel dies in this book. Uh, so you were asking what order we wanted to go in. I'm I'm willing to uh, I'm willing to put myself out there and I'll I'll go I'll go for what what is the what is the order? Well, you have the oldest books? book. Yeah, what is the newest book of these? Is it yours? Uh, I think it's it, mine. Mine is cover dated February of ninety two. I think mine is the late nineties. Um, okay. I think you're right, Dave. I gotta just oh, wait. see. Yeah, February. Yeah, you're, 97. Not, you're, you're February of '97. <clears throat> yes. And and just to save, you know, poor Scott did a did a synopsis, and and for that, you know, the brain bleed we all feel sorry for. But I think Dave and I are just gonna go to the DC and Marvel wiki pages to go with that. <laughs> and uh, you said you found one, Dave. Is is it the Marvel wiki page or something else? Yes, it else? is. They're usually not quite as long as some other ones, oh, but I guess I guess no such luck this time. You need to take a look at this one, my friend. <laughs> I don't need to do anything. <laughs> I think it's longer than the actual book somehow. So, yeah, uh, so Scott, are, yeah. why don't you take us through yours? Ooh, and, oh, and Scott's going to save you all a little bit because he's got a book that's got like six stories in it, and he's only going to tell you one. Yes, I'm just doing Thank the- you, Scott. <laughs> All right, so for mine, uh, you know, Christmas sucks, and I can prove it. So here we go. Uh, this one is our indie for the show. So we actually do have a Marvel, a DC, and an indie, which is pretty cool. So we're doing it old school for this. So I have the indie, and I chose Dell Comics's Four Color Comics, the second series, number 205. And you're like, huh? So... Four Color Comics was basically a, a series of rotating themes. It was something different most every issue, um, just all under the house banner of Four Color Comics. So this is actually Santa Claus Funnies is, is how it's billed on the cover of this. Now, Dell, from what I could find out, Dell published at least 16 of these um, between the years of 1944 and 1962, of, of the 16 that I could find, this was like the fourth one published, something like that. So anyway, it's cover dated 1948, um, just a year on this one, but it was on sale on the stands, according to Mike, uh, Mike's Amazing World of Comics, on November 16, 1948, for a cover price of a whopping 10 cents. And the cover on this is absolutely horrifying. It's the most lecherous-looking Santa Claus with a completely, like, 
it's like he's looking into your soul and and seeing it's just it's so wrong and then he's, and he's molesting the elves it looks like yeah. to be blunt with you yeah it really does it's really perverted looking and you've got these these creepy little like they're like a weird mix between like like little babies and like creepy old men or something crawling all over him and they're all like fawning it's like one's like rubbing his head and one's doing his hair and one's rubbing his belly and one's mm-hmm. polishing it and actually two of them are polishing his boots and one is like taking his clothes off and it's just like wow it's just creepy it's icky it makes me feel dirty it's just nasty the cover on this thing and think this this is, but you know, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you. Hearings? While I don't disagree with you as far as the content of the cover and you know the the layout of the cover, it's not badly drawn. It's not bad artwork. No. It's bad art choice. It, exactly. Yes. Yes. That's a good point because it's, you know, if if with a little refinement, it's. You know, it's it's in many ways it is a classic Santa. It's just the look on his face. You know, it's yeah, it's it's. <laughs> and then really he killed them all. <laughs> and if Bill were here, he would say, "And Santa was enraged, and he ripped the little elf's lungs out." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, if you look at the history of this title, this isn't even like the worst one because there's another one I almost picked just because the cover was worse than this one, but I couldn't find a story in it that I thought was worse than the story I'm going to cover. So anyway, do you know what, what issue that was? Cause I'd like to look that, that up. That was, yes, I could tell you, give me one second. I can tell you exactly what it was. It was four color comics, second series, number 91. Again, it was a Santa Claus funnies. I'm not sure what year this one is. This one is... Is that the one of, of the drunken Santa close-up face? Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes, he's like Santa Hesh on the cover. He looks... Yeah, he looks like a homeless drunk. Like, yeah, it's really disturbing. He almost... This almost reminds me of one of those... What, who is that guy that did all the zombie covers for Marvel? This Ar- Arthur Sudam? Is that his name? Sudiam, something like that. So. That's what this reminds Some, me of. Something it's almost along like those a lines. zombie scene. Yeah, it's really disturbing and the stuff of nightmares. And they sold this to kids back in the forties. So yeah, it's twisted. Um, so we're looking no, at wait, the wait, wait, wait. Just think um, about this. Your Santa company. Uh-huh. He he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. I mean. <laughs> Just imagine this guy looking in your window at night. Right. <laughs> right. You're not going to be sleeping for a while. Nobody sleeps ever again. <laughs> yeah, people, kids have problems with clowns. They, they Maybe they should have bigger problems with Santa. Right. Yeah. Right. So, again, uh, the one that we are actually looking at is Four Collar Comics, 205, Santa Claus Funnies. Uh, we're looking at the last story in this book. It's entitled Santa's Sea Trip. Story and art by I don't know and I don't care. Um, Seriously, I could not find anything out about this story or this book in the way of credits. Now, (laughs) full disclosure, I didn't bother to try very hard. I did try to find it, but um, nothing was readily forthcoming. So don't know, don't care. Um, And so 
we're going to dive straight into this. This is the story that caused old Boston town to blink its eyes one Christmas day in the early 1800s, though the men who told it swore to its truth. But here's the story itself. There had been a great storm that Christmas Eve. It swept out to sea and met the U.S. Navy frigate Gull trying to make Boston for Christmas. We'll keep what sail we can, said Captain Pearson, watching the storm grow worse, and hope we can get in tomorrow, though I doubt it. Below decks, the storm had laid a pall of gloom over the sailors who were eager, eager to go drinking and hoary, I mean, um, to enjoy Christmas at home for the first time in two years. A boy in the crew, why is there a boy in the crew? Don't know. There's a young boy in the crew, and he says, maybe Santa will visit us here if he can find us. And then there's a sailor on the ship that goes, Santa Claus. He goes, that's a good one, Sonny. You better get on deck with your lamps and forget Santa Claus. Well, says the boy, just the same. I'll bet he'd visit if he could hear us. Maybe so, lad, but Santa's no sailor, you know. Now, it so happened at that moment, Santa was directly above the ship, riding over the storm toward Boston. Well, goodness me, said Santa Claus. Someone right below me on the ocean is talking about me. I'll just go down and give someone a bit of Christmas surprise. But as Santa dipped below 30,000 feet, goodness, what a storm. This is much worse than I'd imagine. Careful there, Prancer. But the storm was too much for the reindeer, and quite suddenly, ho, 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 shit! The storm overturned the sled, Santa, ass over tea kettle, red boots over red cap, with all his packages into the sea. Man overboard, the lookout shouted. The captain ordered the ship to come about, and Santa was hauled aboard. Instantly, it stopped raining, though no one seemed to take any notice. Santa, the captain disclaimed, stunned. Yes, Captain, it's me, all right. And though I thank you for saving my life, I'm embarrassed, too. Embarrassed, Santa? asked the captain. Nonsense! Why? Well, that's the first time I've fallen out of my sleigh. In this storm, anyone could have done the same. Now come below and dry off. The captain orders the young boy, Johnny is his name, to, uh, to assist Santa while the deckhands are made to pick up all the fallen Christmas presents that lie scattered about the ship as the storm resumes. Later, that's all of them, sir. Every last one, a crewman reports, as the storm abruptly stops again. Santa returns topside, having dried off, somehow, and the captain tells them that all, all the packages have been gathered up. Though how you deliver them, I can't guess, says the captain. No problem at all, Captain. My reindeer are following the ship back there. Just you watch. Here, Prancer, Dancer, all of you, come up here. The reindeer, seemingly unfettered and unattached to any harness or reins, glide onto the ship. Santa stands around in his snazzy new white keds while the poor slobs in the crew are ordered to pick up all his shit and put it back in the sleigh <laughs> that had somehow materialized on the deck. Captain, says the besneakered Christmas elf, I have to thank you for before I go, you and all aboard this good ship. And although I have no packages for you now, I do have a present. You shall have a fair wind for Boston and be home tomorrow, Christmas morning. 
Then Santa got the hell out of there before anyone can wonder why, if he had the power to turn the storm on and off at will the entire time, did he fall out of his sleigh because of bad weather in the first place? Possibly so that's the a story. Little alcohol. That <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. So that's the story that shook old Boston town that Christmas day when the frigate gull arrived, though few would believe it. Least of all, the Navy Department, when it read the log of the USS Gaul. In fact, they rather quickly sent Captain Pearson to Massachusetts General Hospital for a full psych eval. He was eventually remanded to the then-new uh, then McLean Hospital's Asylum for the Insane, where he enjoyed a sort of celebrity status of one of its earliest residents and lived there quietly until his accidental death from drowning in a bathtub in 1837. The end, and Merry Christmas. Tell us what another you, one, Santa. <laughs> what did you think of this gem? Uh, in the land of the blind, remember, the one-eyed man is king. <laughs> I believe, as I said earlier, I don't know if it was before we were recording or whatever, but... I believe that this one at least had good intentions despite its stupidity. Uh, so therefore I, I, I I'm going to give it a step up on what you're going to hear after this. Uh, but uh, yeah, this was just like totally stupid. So I, I didn't think the artwork was that horrible. No, it's, it's not. It has a certain like, classics illustrated vibe to it however the santa in it i find really disturbing he he does look like he, he looks like uh he reminds me uh yeah i'm sure you've seen miracle on 34th street like the original one mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. reminds me of the drunk santa at the beginning of the movie that gets replaced by the real santa because he, he looks like just some old lush dressed up in a Santa suit, like a like a cheap department store Santa that's just had like one too many, you know. And that's how he fell out of his sleigh. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. He, Normally, he I don't fly my sleigh upside down, but hey, oh, yes, yeah, Santa. That's why we're trying to get back to shore. Ho, ho, ho. Santa, how stupid are you? <laughs> My favorite catch, though, of the of the whole story, though, was that third panel on the last page where Santa's standing there on the deck talking to the captain, and it totally looks like he's wearing Keds. I loved that. That just that made the whole thing for me. I'm like, what what the hell's with these sneakers that he's wearing? Because they're they're different than what he's wearing on his feet at the beginning of the story. Because when he falls out of the sleigh, he's got red boots on. But then when he's up on deck, he's wearing white sneakers. Santa doesn't always have red boots, but he always has boots. Usually they're black boots, I th you know, that I've ever right. seen. Right. So white sneakers, yeah, that's, that's a little strange. <laughs> Gotta say, it's a little strange. Yeah, and it's it's anachronistic. This is eighteen something. What did it say? Eighteen fifteen, and here he is walking around with his his power lace Nikes. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I'm more concerned. With, look, they were able to gather up every single gift Santa was carrying, and it's like a little tiny pile. Who's he delivering to? Two houses, right? <laughs> 
Well, you know, plus, I mean, they <laughs> you got to remember the magic. Stuff up. There's there's presents everywhere on this ship from stem to stern. They gather all this stuff up, and then the old bastard just says, "Well, I don't have anything for you," and takes out like you're loaded with presents and you can't be bothered to give them out. It's like what? And that's how Santa Claus walked the plank. Right, yeah, I know. I mean, that's the thing. The crew should have turned on Santa. That would have made especially the guy who shimmied up the mast to get the friggin' jack in the box that was stuck on the top of the thing. That would have made. This, I'm not going I could have broken my neck. That would have made this book all worthwhile if they, <laughs> if, 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 when he said, "I don't have a gift for you," if they all just beat the living snot out of him. <laughs> oh, don't you now? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll show you a gift. <laughs> well notice too as you flip back and forth through the story notice that the weather basically is it's raining on every other page it, the storm is completely inconsistent it's like the what is it like the third or fourth page of the story it's raining like hell the ship's rocking all over it looks like they could sink any minute there's actually water running off the ship as they're pulling Santa aboard. So, I mean, they're taking on serious water from the rain. And then you turn the page and it's perfectly all right. There's no rain. There's nothing. I mean, the, the, it looks like there's some swells in the ocean still, but there's no rain or anything. See, now what I thought was going to happen, and, you know, you, you try to find, like, the heartwarming ending that they're going to put on this thing. I, what I thought was going to happen was that they were going to hit a storm. And they were going to be in danger, and somehow Santa was going to have his reindeer pull the ship to safety. Right. Now, that would have been at least a story where, where Santa served a purpose besides being a drunken fool. <laughs> right. You know? And, and this, this is really all he did. He's, he's, let, me, let me give them some pleasure. So on a full on. <laughs> Fall on the ship, make them work to get my stuff together, and then I'm going to leave. Boy, did you ever give them pleasure? <laughs> it would have been great if Santa was smoking in this, too. Right. <laughs> Santa smokes camels unfiltered. <laughs> <laughs> and, and well, you know what? About the time this came out, that wouldn't have been looked at as being all that bad. Oh, it's right. an advertisement. <clears throat> Well, no, this is this is again. I, I kind of like the artwork. It artwork it has that fairy tale feel to it. Uh, plus, you know the the old golden age look, without being some golden age books like the artwork looks painful to to read through. Uh, I, I think the artwork in this is fine, but the story is just like Shit. you know out and out stupid. It, it's pointless. I mean, it, it really it's just it fills pages. That's all it does. It really has no. I mean, what what was the point of this story? He, you know, so it's it's almost like a UFO encounter. And it's like they sighted something and they can't explain. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. what what was the point of this? Maybe it was okay. a UFO. It was just misunderstood technology <laughs> by primitive people. I'm just thinking of Steve Martin and planes, trains, and automobiles. Here's here's some advice to you when you tell a story. Have a point. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, no, there's, there's no, like, feel-good ending to it or anything. Like I said, if they had had something where they hit a bad storm and the reindeer brought them to safety, you know, Rudolph, full power! And, you know, well, let's not even go there. Yep, exactly. 
Because Rudolph yeah. was actually a very bad story too, which was probably yeah. not too far off time-wise from this, right? Oh no, that was that had to be in the '60s, right? The cartoon was in the '60s, but I think, but I think the out. I think the character came out early. Much oh, earlier. The, oh, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I thought you I thought you meant the movie, the the Rankin Bats. Yeah, the the song probably came out. Yeah, right around this time. I'm thinking. Yeah, because that was. I, I, that was that was like wasn't it like created by Macy's? Oh, it was, like, it was uh, what's his name, the singing cowboy. Gene Autry uh, sang it. Gene Autry. Okay, here we go. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a fictional cr- reindeer created by Robert L. May. Rudolph is usually depicted as the ninth and youngest of Santa Claus's reindeer, using his luminous nose. Blah blah blah. Where was it created? Rudolph first appeared oh, in a 1939 booklet written by May and published by Montgomery Ward, the department store. It was not Macy's. He's as old uh, as Batman. How have they never fought? <laughs> well, isn't there a treasury sized of uh, Rudolph? There are treasury sized Rudolphs, yeah. but I don't think he ever. I, I don't think he, he, he and uh, Batman ever threw down. Somebody missed a golden opportunity there. You know, Rudolph would have made a fantastic Batman vill- villain if you look at his backstory. <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. You're, you're I'll blind them all. They didn't want me on the team. They wouldn't let me play in their games. <laughs> so. Here he got into comics in the 50s. DC Comics. When did, actually, 50s. I didn't see. When did, the, when did the song originate? 1949, apparently. Yeah, so just after this. So this is older than... May's brother-in-law... May's brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, adapted the song, story of Rudolph into a song. Gene's, Gene Autry's recording of the song hit number one on the Billboard charts in the week of Christmas 1949. Autry's recording sold 2.5 million copies the first year, eventually selling a total of 25 million. It remained the second best-selling record of all time until the 1980s. But how did it compare to, say, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer? <laughs> And here's another uh, another connection to uh, the comics and everything is that he made his screen ap- first screen appearance in 1948 in a cartoon short produced by Max Fleischer, who also did the, the Superman cartoons. So there you go. I've seen those. They're not bad. The the animation is actually not. pretty. Well, Fleischer Studios was awesome in its day. Oh yeah, yeah. So you <laughs> see, see how much we want to talk about the book you brought. <laughs> Yeah, we're letting ourselves run wild here it's a doozy I'm, I'm telling you but you know here's the here's the thing though here's the redeeming maybe not this particular issue but having you know i mean i did not by any stretch of the imagination sit down and read like a stack of santa claus funnies but i thumbed through these looking for a particularly stupid story and some of them i mean some of the the little story especially i found that the ones that were like historical or like biblical base um actually have like really beautiful art in them there's actually one in this issue it's uh the story of the three kings we three kings and the illustrations in that are i mean they're really really good it's again it's that kind of like i always associate it with like uh like classics illustrated or Uh like prince valiant or something like that but yeah the arts actually very nice but 
for the most part, these these stories are you know they're kind of they're all kind of dopey. It's a lot of like talking animals and weird, freaky looking elves, and it's just bizarre, you know. So it it makes you, you know, <laughs> was this the was this the entertainment the kids were desperate for in the uh, in the forties? You know, it's, uh, there's a story in here. There's one with a with a parrot that dresses up like Santa. I did not read it, but it just looks terrible. I probably should have brought this one too, but uh, yeah, it just, it just looks so stupid. You mean Petey's Parrot's Christmas? That's that's Say a that staple again? at the Pascarella House. <laughs> P- Every year Parrot's they gather around Christmas. the fireplace and read that one. Yeah. Petey Parrot's Christmas. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I think Ew. you missed an opportunity just looking through, <laughs> through, through it. Oh, wait, he gets killed by an owl. The end. <laughs> 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 you know what that that would actually play in because a lot of those old uh things were really depressing if you really looked at it. yeah oh these these are these are just terrible i'm sorry i'm just paging through this one you know, and these these things price too i was looking you know just just out of curiosity i was like I, I wonder what something like this would go for if you were if you were hunting a copy and they're not cheap what do they go for um i think the like the cheapest one i saw in like decent con- condition was like 50 60 bucks i'm like kidding me i'm thinking like 5 bucks is too much it's, it's got to be I, I would if, if I was in a store and it was there for five bucks, I would not buy it. But that should be the maximum <laughs> price if you wanted it. This is like a grab bag book where they yeah. threw it in there to fill it out. Yeah. But you know, there's there's a market for everything because you know one of one of one of my books that I have that I don't know if you have or not, Scott, but I know you would like to have if you don't is the Flintstones at the World's Fair. I'm sure there's yes. people out there who would say, oh, that's awful. I don't want that. Right. That's true. That's true. I don't know, but the Flintstones have, you know, cross appeal. The the beauty of that one is it was out when the Flintstones were on. It wasn't right. it wasn't something that they did 30 years later, you know, 64, right. 65. Is the book carved in stone? <laughs> <laughs> it's a page right out of history. The only the only thing I could think with something like this is it would be you know if this was like it, it featured art or a story by you know some creator that someone was collecting or something like that but there's no credits on any of this you know within the book itself so I you know I have no idea who, who worked any of these stories or anything and I couldn't find anything on it either so I don't know. Dell's are a weird one for me. I, I I wish I knew more about Dell, but I, I really don't, which is kind of sad because the uh, you know the old fellow that lived in our town that was kind of the the Obi Wan of comics for for me and uh, and my friend Chris Honeywell growing up. I mean, he swore by Dell's. That's what he actually collected was the old Dell's. And you know, just being kids, you know, we kind of stuck our nose up at them because they weren't, you know, they weren't superheroes and that sort of thing. So I, I never took the time to 
to have him educate me on it. And now I, I kind of regret it because I'd like to know a little bit more about them because, I mean, they for their time, they they were right up there as another you know big powerhouse in the comics industry as well. But, you know, outside of I think you can uh, I think you can readily find them if you're not looking for specific issues. You go to the comic store, right. you go through the cheap bins, you'll find the occasional Dell jammed in there. But if you're looking oh, yeah. for a, a specific issue, go, you know, good luck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, except for, you know, people that, that are actively, you know, in the know about them and hunting them and everything, they've, they've kind of been forgotten, you know. And that's that's sad, only in the sense of, as I say, you know, they, they were, you know, they were one of the big ones back then. I mean, they, I mean this series alone, the four-color uh the four color series um, was one of the longest running series in comics. I mean, there's something like a thousand and something issues of this. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, that's all I got on this. I pretty much gave you all my opinions as we were going through it. It's stupid. (laughs) It's stupid. It is stupid. It's very stupid. This book's stupid. Uh. I don't know what's creepier, the front cover or the back cover. That's well, the I back think. cover is, is is scary. Put some clothes on, especially yeah, right? the, uh, you know the one all the way furthest to the right mm-hmm. up high, because I'm pretty sure I see testicles there. There's <laughs> a love oh, sack nasty. showing. <laughs> am I am I am I mistaken? Why did you make me look? <laughs> hey, you know what? You're the guy who 10 years ago sent me a picture of naked Captain America with body paint <laughs> that I, I still have trouble getting out of my head. Uh, and that, my oh, friend, is, and that is how you get a visit from the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so ready to move on. You or me, Dave? You want me to do it? Uh, all right, hold on. It's up to let you. Me, uh, let me bring up my synopsis. I don't mind getting mine over <laughs> But, but I do think I have the winner, so I think I should go third. This book I'd like to take full credit for, but it was recommended to me by a friend because I really wanted to have something that sucked. This is Amazing Spider-Man, what's the number here, 420. It was the night before Christmas. And it goes like this. At Westside Medical Center, Ben Yurick tries to convince Detective Lewis to open up about El Uno, one of the Black Tarantula's minions. Every time I saw Black Tarantula, I kept thinking of Tarantula from the All-Star comics. Black Tarantula's minions, who has been under guard at the hospital after surviving a bomb blast. Lewis refuses to talk about the situation because it is tied up with other law enforcement agencies. However, the situation is taken out of their hands when El Uno takes this moment as his opportunity to escape police custody. Hearing him crash out of the window in his hospital room, the police are powerless to stop El Uno from getting away. Although the police scramble to find him, they fail to recapture El Uno. 
Meanwhile, Peter Parker is out holiday shopping and spots a pair of boots that his wife, Mary Jane, would love. Unfortunately, they are very expensive. Sounds like a Christmas song to me. This gets him thinking about how tight money is, as Peter isn't making much selling photos to the Daily Bugle, and that he and Mary Jane, returning to school at Empire State University, is making money tight. When he sees a happy family together, it reminds Peter of all the painful struggles they have endured. Mary Jane deserves those boots because they're made for walking. That's when Peter gets a notification from the Daily Bugle telling him that he has a photo assignment. On the way to the Bugle, Peter hopes that it is a good paying gig as he could use the extra money. At that moment, the Rose is decorating his hideout for the holidays. His bodyguard, Delia, questions how he can be festive when they have just made an enemy of black tarantula. She is particularly upset that El Uno was able to beat her during their last battle. That's when the Rose informs when the Rose informs her that El Uno managed to escape police custody and that she will have an opportunity for a rematch. By this time, Peter Parker has arrived at Washington Square Park to get photos of a street prophet that has been gaining notoriety. Peter can't wait to get his assignment over with because it'll earn him enough money to buy the boots he wants to get Mary Jane. This prophet turns out to be Nate Gray, the so-called X-Man who has been giving people advice or using his telepathic powers to help those in serious need. As Peter Parker arrives, his spider sense begins to go off as Nate detects him among the crowd. The two stare at each other quietly, leaving Peter to wonder what to do next. Eventually, Nate approaches him and reveals that he knows that Parker is a superhero and suggests that they skip the unspoken custom that heroes need to fight first and just start talking. While in Argentina, the black tarantula catches Chesbro, his assistant, setting up a Christmas tree. He is furious that his assistant would set up such a childish thing and demands it be taken down. He is still angry that El Uno has been captured. However, Chesbro tells his master that El Uno escaped capture and is yet to contact him. The black tarantula warns Chesbro that he might be right. Back in New York, Peter and Nate are unable to shake the crowd of loyal followers. Nate decides to use his telepathic powers to cloud the crowd's mind so that he can telekinetically lift himself and Peter onto a nearby rooftop. Peter takes issue with this as he doesn't believe that Nate is using his powers with any sort of responsibility. Gray doesn't like the fact that Peter is dictating how he should use his powers, especially when he keeps his own secrets. To illustrate this point, Nate uses his telekinetic, telekinetic powers to rip Peter out of his street clothes, revealing the Spider-Man costume underneath. The two agreed to stick to the truth before discussing anything further. While on the west side, Delia watches as the police arrest a man found on the street in his underwear. 
While the officers don't believe his story about being robbed, Delia knows that she's getting close to tracking down El Uno, unaware that the strong man is stalking her from behind. By this time, Peter Parker has just finished telling X-Men about how he became Spider-Man, explaining how Uncle Ben was murdered, because he didn't act as he was taught to about great responsibility. Hearing this, Nate realizes that he and Peter have more in common than he thought. Taking Peter by the hand, Nate and Parker see vision. Nate has Parker see visions from his past. He sees the world that Nate grew up in, an alternate reality where the mutant apocalypse took over North America and turned it into a slaughterhouse. The X-Man then takes Peter to a specific memory, revealing how he was manipulated by a mad geneticist known as Sinister, and it led to the death of his mentor, a man named Forge. Since Peter has a few errands to run, he invites Nate to join him, and he slings across the city as Spider-Man. Along the way, Nate keeps picking up on thoughts from Peter's mind, particularly Peter's most recent tragedy, and tries to offer advice. As Spider-Man and X-Man go to take pictures of the damage caused by El Uno's escape, the man in question finally ambushes Delia. As the pair fight it out, Peter sells his photos to the Daily Bugle, gets the money he needs to buy the boots, and then convinces Nate to come back for Christmas dinner. Nate accepts and is warmly welcomed by Mary Jane and her Aunt Anna. As the Parkers bid farewell to Nate that evening, Delia defeats El Uno by tossing him into a fuel truck. Although El Uno was seriously burned and in a great deal of pain from the explosion, Delia promises him that he will not free it, feel it for very long. In Queens, Peter makes a comment about how this evening was almost perfect and sees Nate out. Gray picks up a stray thought and later that evening uses his telepathic powers to make Peter have a dream about his Aunt May. <clears throat> In the dream, Aunt May tells Peter not to blame himself for not being there when Mary Jane gave birth. After he assures him that it was not his fault, Aunt May tells Peter that her namesake is also at peace and they will be united one day. Before Peter drifts into a dreamless sleep, he thanks his Aunt May, unaware that this was all the work of Nate Gray. Meanwhile, in South America, Chesbro reports to his master that a present was just delivered to them by Rose. When they open it up, the package when they open up the package, they discover El Uno's severed head in the bo- in the box in a wreath of roses. Merry Christmas to that's what I kept thinking. <clears throat> Was that the longest synopsis you've ever heard in your entire life? No. You know, the disturbing thing about about this is that that synopsis actually made the issue sound a lot better than it actually is, because it's nowhere near as good as any of that. Oh, that was all my dulcet reading tone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know what the, the beauty of the synopsis is? 
if you read it, you didn't have to look at the art. Yeah. Because this is god-awful, this artwork. I can't stand this. It's horrible. Which is why I recommended it to Dave. Because he was <laughs> but, he was needing a needing a bad book for this. And here you go. It's now the, I don't think the story is particularly good either. But at least the story, you know, you can follow it. And it has a couple interesting beats and all that, I, I guess. But there is nothing redeemable about the art in this. It is horrible from beginning to end. It's just, I mean, I would be ashamed to put this out as, you know, I mean, this is amazing Spider-Man. That Look at the art, you know, the artist that that book has had since being originally published. I mean, you had guys like Steve Ditko, John Romita, and, and all those guys coming up. And Gil then, Kane, Ross Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> and then this, I mean, this, oh, this is, I mean, this should be nowhere in association with this title or, or that legacy. I mean, it's just awful. Absolutely awful. And totally, El totally Uno, agree. in addition to having a ridiculous name that makes me think of that pizza parlor uno <laughs> or the card game uno <laughs> that's what i kept thinking about the card game yeah the card game i mean he just <clears throat> looks flat ridiculous I, and the, through the whole thing when i was reading it, i kept trying to think what does this remind me of and I, it, it finally occurred to me so you guys remember when dark horse had comics greatest world it, it was their attempt to do like a like a unified comic book universe right and it had all these different characters like x and ghost and motorhead and all these different ones barbed wire and as that went along there was a series that kind of pulled some of those characters in. it was like one of their big crossover events type of thing and it was um oh god now i'm never gonna remember the name of it um it had something to do with the, it was like out of the vortex or something like that, I think was the name of it. It had something to do with the vortex, which was a big thing in, in that particular universe. But the art on it was god awful with like these big, freaky, super muscular dudes with like big jaws and big fat lips. And I, I think Bart Sears had a lot to do with, with that. And he always drew that kind of weird looking. And it all just looks like that, and it's just terrible. I oh, the art in this is so so bad. The anatomy is all messed up. The heads are all weird and squishy, and <laughs> it's just god awful. It really is. I am. Um, I, I I don't. I can't defend it at all. It's just. I, I don't like any aspect of it. Uh, <laughs> and the story just doesn't do it. First of all, as, as Dave was doing the synopsis, every time he said El Uno, I felt like laughing. Because it's just one of the stupidest yeah, names for a character. Myself, I kept, yeah, that's why I, I muted myself, because I kept laughing every time he said it. And, and every time you said it, Dave, it sounded like you were thinking, I can't believe this is what they named this character. <laughs> I kept waiting for his partner, El Due, to show up. <laughs> Well, that, that's uh, that's the, what's the name. Of, the name of the movie is Big Night, with his two brothers who own a, own a restaurant, two Italian brothers, and the first one's name is Primo, 
and the second one's name is Segundo. <laughs> so I, I, that, that's what I, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that, but that was meant to be funny. This is, you know, in its own way, supposed to be serious, which is, and then just even the first <laughs> shot of him with the bandages all over him, it looks so dumb. Uh, you know, even, even if you didn't cringe at the anatomy, the way they show it, it just looks stupid. Um, there's so many things. The only, the only image that I, that I thought had the slightest bit going for it is the uh, splash page with, you know, where it says the title to the uh, issue. And, you know, there's kind of like a very dark looking Spider-Man wearing a, uh, a Santa Claus hat on a, I guess, on a Christmas ball. Uh, and and that, that doesn't look bad. It's not something that's going to make you feel good about Christmas, but... You know, to me, that didn't look bad. But everything else, every other single shot, I think, looks bad. Uh, and I also I don't like the story that that X-Men is impersonating Aunt May for Peter's benefit. The yeah. hell is that about? Yeah, that's you know, that's not right. I, I, I don't like it. I really just I do. I feel dirty having read it. Do you do you guys are you familiar with this character, this X-Men because all I know yeah, about him yes. is that this is like an alternate universe version of Cable. That's all I know about him. Yes. It, it, it comes from the Age of Apocalypse. Uh, he was popular enough that he had a, a an ongoing series after the Age of Apocalypse storyline ended. Uh, you know, that he came to this universe and, and was living here. Uh, so there was something to be said for that. But, uh, you know, that, that was that was 1990s popularity that has since ended. Right. Are you familiar? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Dave. Are you familiar with that meme? There's like a little girl looking over her shoulder, and like say a burning building in front of her, and it's got. <laughs> yeah. That's what I kept looking at the cover and thinking. The way he's looking back at you. Right. That's the meme. <laughs> All you needed was a burning right. building instead of stripping Peter Parker. And and even on the cover, like you look at it, that doesn't look like Peter Parker. It looks it's, like the Riddler on acid. Looks it looks like like Robin while the Joker was beating him to death with a yes, that's even yeah. better. Yeah. Another Christmas yeah, story. Right. Awful. What the whole concept of him? Tearing his clothes off and oh, it's a good thing today. I brought a second outfit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, like I said, the X Men was popular for a while. I think his solo series ran like twenty five issues, and that was when, uh, again, the Age of Apocalypse. They had the alternate titles to everything. His was the alternate title to Cable, but every other series that they had the alternate titles lasted four issues. This was popular and went on. Like I said, I think it was 25. So it did have it did have a little bit of juice at the time this came out. Uh, but again, that that has since ended. You know, I, I don't think they I don't think the character is. I think they killed off the character at some point and it's just gone. Ah, man, that I did not know. Will to Power, that was the name of that series. I was trying like hell to remember the name of it. That was the name of it, Will to Power. It was the last three issues of that had to deal with the Vortex. And the, uh, the art on that was, let me see if I can look that up real quick, because it was awful. Uh, 
Okay, I looked up X-Men, and uh, in my head I keep hearing the X-Men theme song from uh, from the cartoon that we did, X-Men, X-Men. Um, <laughs> save the day, save the day. Yeah, I'm just trying to see what, what his, his comic ran. Will to power, turbine to speed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see anything where it says how long his series ran. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything on the uh, the creative team of that book, but yeah, it was. Well, here, here, here you go. Here's the. I'll send you this link. Here's the cover image to Will to Power. I think this is number one. This is the image that I had that came to mind when I was telling you guys about this. And see, see if you don't see where I'm going with this by looking at that image. It's just terrible. See what I mean? Big yeah. muscly roided out freak that's just all wrong anatom you know anatomically. Mm. Who do we know who drew that? Uh, I don't I don't. I thought it was Bart Sears, but I'm not I think it's actually like uh, uh like discount Bart Sears, which is pretty bad. <laughs> But no, I do not know who that. Let me see if I've got. I know I have this issue in my own club. Let me see if I can find a cover image where I can blow it up bigger and see if it's signed. But yeah, it's ugh, ugh, well, terrible art. At this point, if you still need to cleanse your palate with bad Christmas books, I think I have the winner for you. <laughs> and this, and mine is the most disappointing. You know. I, I remember, you know, when when Siskel and Ebert had their show and they would talk about like the ten worst movies of the year, and and they their point was we're going to pick ten movies that should be good and aren't. We're not going to pick ten like really crappy movies with low budgets that you you know are going to be bad no matter what happens. And and you know here we're dealing with something where if nothing else, the main writer on it is Keith Giffen, who I have a lot of respect for. Not only for his storytelling ability, but also for his sense of humor in most cases. Not today. Uh, I took, I did the Lobo Paramilitary Christmas Special, uh, which has the cover date of February of 1992. Uh, and I'm going to read to you from the DC database the uh, synopsis. Orifice and Ferret Thung, unable to provide a material Christmas are dreading facing the wrath of their ten kids in the morning. A knock at the door reveals a mysterious book on the doorstep called The Lobo Christmas Sanction, detailing a story that would adequately scare any demanding children straight during the Christmas season. Hoping it is the answer to their fears, the anxious parents begin reading. Once upon a time, there was this really cool dude. Lobo and Dog arrive at a drinking establishment to meet a client. The client turns out to be a highly inebriated Easter Bunny who wants to put a contract hit out on Santa Claus for his perpetual upstaging of lesser holiday icons. Lobo joyously agrees to take the job and departs for the North Pole. He bursts into Santa's workshop, guns blazing, and begins massacring the elves. Some of the elves attempt to fight back against the naughtiest one, but they are only armed with pop guns. 
After turning the workshop into a bloody tableau, Lobo makes his way to the throne room of Chris Crusher Kringle. Santa is not the jolly, smiling old man personified in the traditions, however. He is actually a merciless taskmaster, armed with razor-sharp shivs and accompanied by a gorilla companion named Kong. Before Lobo executes Santa where he sits, he's coaxed into a fair fight by the bearded Bastich. Kringle chooses the weapons and leads Bo into the Elphomatic cloning unit, claiming there is more room to maneuver. The two brawl fiercely, and the fight is as messy as it is brutal. Ultimately, Lobo wins by decapitating Kringle with one of his own shivs. Exploring afterwards, Lobo finds Santa's naughty, nice databank and views the resource as an invaluable tool, tool being squandered. He perceives the nice as weak, victims of victims in the making, whereas the naughty he sees as potential competition. Manufacturing his own presence, he fills up this sleigh with H-bombs and flies across the world, raining them down upon sleeping towns and villages. Thrilled by such a horrifying tale, the thugs no longer fear being torn apart in the morning by their own irascible offspring, but upon reading the last page, this book is only good for one read, gotcha sucker, Ferret solemnly heads upstairs with his shotgun and murders his sleeping children. Now this one, I think, has the dual effect of not only being incredibly offensive in the story, but having artwork that is just painful to look at. Yeah. So I think it's really, you know, it's really got the combination. The only one who's actually drawn well in the book at all is Lobo. But everything else is crap. And I'm not really a Lobo fan to begin with, quite frankly. Uh, you know, Lobo was meant to make fun of Wolverine. And then it just was a joke that went too far. Yes. Uh, so uh, I didn't give the credits on this. It's uh, Keith Giffen was the plot and breakdowns. Simon Bisley was the art. Alan Grant gave the dialogue. Lovern Kinzerski was the colorist uh, and and letters. And Bad Dan Raspler was the editor. So this, you know, as I said, this this really had no redeeming value for me. And, and I'm sad to say that because I really like Keith Giffen's work most of the time. You know, the, the stuff that we got to read on, uh, you know, Justice League, uh, Justice League International. No. Yeah, just League International, wasn't it? Uh, as well as like when when he did the was on the four issue of four issue mini of uh, the Defenders, but I think that was him teamed up with JMD Mateus, if I remember right, and maybe yeah. that combo is just a little bit more in tune with what's funny and what's offensive. I don't know, uh, but I found this bothersome. I don't know, and I'm not, you know I'm I'm not a prude when it comes to this stuff, but I just there was nothing about this that I you know when when they had this stuff that was over the top, I didn't think it was clever. I didn't think it was funny. I just thought it was irreverent for the purpose of being irreverent, as opposed to giving us some sort of satire that that made you you know chuckle or whatever. So I think I win. I think you win too. You you do. Yeah, you do hands down. Yay for me. Go ahead, I wouldn't put this. Go, go ahead, Scott. 
No, go ahead. What, what did you have on this? I wouldn't put this in the bottom of a birdcage. That's how bad it is. Yep. I agree. As soon as you, you picked your book and I, and I opened the file to see what it was, I was like, oh, no. Because uh, full disclosure, and I know I'm probably going to get beat up for saying this, but i got to be honest, I hate Lobo. I've always hated Lobo. I mean, when he first started out in Omega Men, he was okay because he wasn't this. You know, but like you say, he, he was a joke that just way overstayed its its welcome or its funny or anything and, and just mutated and blew up into this just ridiculous thing that I, I just could never stand. I mean, the, the only Lobo that I can kind of sort of tolerate is when uh, Garrett, what's his name, played him on uh, on Superman, the animated series. And even that, Brad I, Garrett. I, yeah, or Brad Garrett, that was it. Um. And even that, I wasn't really all that crazy about. It was more just kind of tolerating it because it was Brad Garrett, and I like him, but I, I just I hate this character so much. And this is one of those books that I've seen year after year, you know, in the fifty cent bins or whatever. Never had any inclination to to own it, to buy it, to thumb through it or anything. So when I when I saw this was the one I was gonna have to read because it was I was like, ah oh, shit. And it's exactly. Um, what I thought it was, but worse. Um, I mean, you know, the word, you know, offensive and, you know, I'm offended gets thrown around so much these days that it's almost completely lost its meaning. But I got to be honest, I found this incredibly offensive. I was just like, wow, there's, I mean, you talk about tasteless. And at least it does warn you on the cover that, you know, it says contains bad taste. But still, I mean... It's frightening to me that this was on the stands alongside, you know, Superman and Batman and stuff like that. And all that's really on it is that, you know, the the warning that's almost written as if it's a joke. And then, you know, just above the uh, the DC logo, it just says, you know, suggested for mature readers. There's nothing on here that says, dude, you do not want to buy this for a child, you know, or that, you know, that prevents a child from buying it. And well, I think the cover image tells you not to buy it for a comic for a child, but I think your second point is well taken. That there's nothing, you know, a yeah. child may pick this up on their own because they think, oh, I'm, I'm going to be edgy. Uh, well, he's a character who fought matters. Superman. You know why? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Oh, well, he fought yeah, Superman. Exactly. So you know, what's the difference? Yeah, exactly. And, well, I know, hate this character. I'm with you 110 percent. Yeah, I mean, it's, you, know, you know what I'm thinking of is when uh, when Data got his emotion chip in Star Trek Generations, <laughs> and he and he and he had the his his taste of whatever it was Romulan ale or whatever, and he was like, "Ooh, I hate this!" And he just <laughs> like he was he was enjoying hating it so much. You want some more, please? <laughs> uh, Listen, yeah. the only Lobo I like has the title Sheriff in front. And that's high art, high art compared to this. <laughs> I do. Lord Akins was the best Lobo we've ever seen. <laughs> I do feel slightly bad hating it so much because you know at least two of the of the three main uh, creators I really have a lot of respect for because you know as Paul said I like Keith Giffen I like him more as an artist than than a writer but you know I I do enjoy his stuff generally. 
Um, and then Alan Grant, who I'm loath to say anything bad about. I mean, the man just passed away, you know, this summer. Um, I thought a lot of, of him as a, as a writer, you know, especially his work on you know, Batman and some other characters. Um, now, Simon Beasley, I've never, ever liked his art. Simon Beasley, to me, was trying way, way too hard to be Bill Sankevic or um, uh, Kevin... Um, Oh shit! What was his name? The one that worked with uh, with Alan Moore. Um, I can't think of his name now. But you know, he he just I don't know. I just don't like his style. It's it's too. It's just a little too out there. It's it, it it's trying so hard to be something it just can't quite get a handle on, in my opinion. But I don't know. That's me. It's also there's also a lot of. Uh, uh, like Kyle Baker in here as well, but I, again, I think you know Kyle Baker, you know, runs circles around this guy. So I don't know. I just this is not my kind of comics. It's not my kind of art. And uh, wow, it's it's just so tasteless, so tasteless. And then you know, doing doing stuff with Santa and the brains and the eyeballs and ugh. And the, yeah, the no, really sad it, thing it does is nothing that, for me. Yeah, you know, the really sad thing is that it's it's not even like an aberration because this is kind of what DC has degenerated into over time. And it's sad, you know? Ugh. I just I when I see stuff like this, I, I wonder what guys like Mort Weisinger or E. <laughs> Nelson Bridwiller that would think of this shit were they alive to see it, you know? Published under the under the DC banner, you know? It wouldn't have been published. Yeah, exactly, right? Oh, God, what was that guy's name? Kevin, um... I cannot think of... O'Neill, Kevin O'Neill, who also, I think, passed away this year, now that I think about it. Yeah, that did, like, Martial Law and uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and stuff like that. I, You know, I kind of like his art. You know, it's that weird, freaky stuff similar to this, but just done so much better. I don't know. I mean, if, if you know, there's, there's a place for this kind of shit, I guess, you know, if this is the stuff you enjoy. I think or Dave whatever, hit it when I mean, he said the bottom of a birdcage. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, I agree. I mean, this is not my kind of comics. But if you're going to do stuff like this, then you do it like heavy metal style, where it's very clear that this is not... You know, this is not the same as Archie or, you know, the latest issue of Batman Adventures or whatever the hell was like on a, the stage. Like a Vertigo, right? It wasn't yeah. that a separate imprint or something? Exactly. Yeah, that's my point. Even then, it has no appeal to me, though. No, no, no. I'm not saying from the appeal. But I'm talking just simply to set it apart on the stands so that grandma doesn't make the mistake of, oh, I think Billy would like this book and, you know, buys it for a child, you know? I just, I don't see anything enough on this cover that, that's a barrier to that, you know what I mean? I, maybe that's just me, but... Also, no, I, what, think, I, th I think, I think if, if you had a grandmother who actually looks at what the artwork is, she would know not to buy this for a, a small child. Uh, but you you run the risk of somebody just seeing, you know, you know, like how how the comics used to be in the uh, 
you know, it, if you went into the store with it, you know, not the bookstore, if you went into like the supermarket or wherever they were selling the comics and you would really only see the title, <laughs> you know, coming over the top and, and you know, because they'd be in rows and you just see the title. And I could see, uh, a, you know, an, an adult grabbing it based on the title and not actually seeing what the image is. Absolutely. Uh, you know what? I think part of the problem is we also come from another generation. Right. Which is Look, why we don't like current do you, comics. But this is, recall, this is 1992. You this recall is still when there 30 used years to be ago. a big magazine section which sold certain magazines that the shopkeeper <laughs> would not let you look at if you were below right. a certain age? Right. And this should have been with that shit, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, this... Yeah. This should have been in the video store behind, in, in that back room where they had the, right. the cheap curtains <laughs> to keep you from going, keep people from going in, the beaded <laughs> curtains or whatever. Right. What is with the paramilitary? I, I don't. It, it looks tacked on in the cover, and and that really makes sense to me because I didn't. There's no what. There's nothing paramilitary in this book. So what the hell was that all about? He's got some green know. on his outfit and stars. I guess. I don't know. This it's shit. This was awful. This is easily one of the worst books I've ever read. Thank you so much, Paul. <laughs> I'm happy to make your Christmas special. You know uh, what? Your Christmas your Christmas is now better because you know you don't own this book. Yes, this is very true. So I made your Christmas better for you. You did. You actually did. You're welcome. Ho, ho, ho. You know, if they had gone another way with this, they could have really made it like cheek funny and taken the violence level down about a thousand decibels. It could have been funny. If, if, if I were challenged to write this story in a way that I thought would be acceptable, I definitely would have brought it down, the violence down a level, and ultimately I would have had it turn where Lobo thinks he's successful, but somehow walks into a trap of some sort where Santa outwits him. Well, Lobo thinks he's a burglar breaking an entry. When did, when did Home Alone come out? Is that I think that was 90. Okay, 90 so or 91. I, I mean, it, it would take a hell of a lot for something like this to, to catch me or to be, you know, anything I would be remotely interested in. But if I were going to try to save something like this, or if I was tasked to write something like this, I think where this could have worked was ditch the whole wraparound story segment with the, with the parents that are afraid they're going to be murdered by their children, which I thought what that was really just dumb. So the idea of somebody, taking, you know, the other, the other holiday, icons taking out a contract on santa okay that's got some potential let's run with that i think where this could have possibly worked and could have been very funny because keith gibbons a funny guy he has written some really good comedy like ambush bug so where this could have actually worked is you take a complete asshole like lobo and you put him up against classic jolly coca-cola santa and have Santa somehow defeat him through, like, Home Alone-type shit, 
And it could have actually been really funny. It, it could be hysterical. But they, should, instead, they should have they, given this, this assignment to you and I, Scott. We would have done this. Well, I would have changed Lobo to somebody I like, though. <laughs> yeah. And, and, well, but, you, but no, you see that? But that's the good part about it is that you're having Lobo, who you don't like, being made to look like a fool that's by the time true. the story yeah. is over. Right. Or, or you end it where he thinks he's killed him, like you said, but Santa Claus is just making him think that. And that's his gift that he won in his head. That yeah, no, but I want him to be humiliated. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, me too. I, you know, that's... It, it, I, I would have it end with Santa, like, kicking his ass out of, out of the North Pole and saying, your gift is I don't kill you. <laughs> and Lee Majors shows up to help him. There you go. I know... If you want to see... Almost- if you want to see a... Uh, uh, an entertaining turning Christmas on its ear with Santa and everything kind of thing. I have gotten a big kick out over the years watching with my kids, Billy and Mandy's Christmas special. Uh, they go to the North pole and Santa who is voiced by Gilbert Gottfried is oh, actually God. a vampire. <laughs> and he's, it's, I think it's hilarious. And uh, Malcolm McDowell is in it. He, you know, he does one of the voices. He's just like, prissy vampire i i find it extremely amusing if anybody gets a chance to watch that i recommend it and if you do watch it based upon my recommendation tell me what you think of it is it yours uh it might be a good solid yours too (laughs) i i i laugh every time uh every time i see it so uh, what are your Christmas wishes, guys, before we call an end to this debacle? I wish I could find those damn uh, 50th anniversary Mego figures in the local Walmarts, man. I've been haunting Walmarts in this area like on a daily basis, and they still haven't come out around here. At least I can't find them. Maybe they came out and sold out already, but, man, did I you, want that. Did these? you look on the uh, the online Walmart? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're on there and they're on like Amazon and stuff. But I just, I, I just want to walk in and buy them. You know what I mean? Okay. I hate ordering stuff. You're online. asking too for too much. Well, just the yeah, fact that you're willing to walk into Walmart tells me you get what you deserve. This is true. This is very true. But uh, yeah, they look. I mean, because you know they've been putting out Migos again for a while. Whatever company it is that's been doing them, but to me, they didn't look like the classic Migos. These look exactly like the classic Migos, and I want them. They are really, really nice looking. And uh, yeah, there's a whole there's a whole series of them that are coming out. Um, but I didn't even know anything about them. My my sister sent me a, a picture, uh, at, you know, because she lives in North Georgia, and she sent me a picture from her local Walmart. And she goes, "Did you know anything about these?" I'm like, "Oh my God, buy those!" You know. Um, but they have like Batman, you know, the classic Superman, Batman, Robin. But then a lot of the, you know, the other ones are coming out, too. And they're even adding in some that weren't part of it first time around. I don't know that I'm really interested in those, but I want to try to recapture, you know, as many of them as I had when I was a kid. And I had like a lot of them. I always thought I had just about all of them. There there were quite a few I didn't have, but 
when it came to the DC guys, I had just about all of them, and I would love to have those again. That's that's one of those things I've really regretted over the years is that I didn't keep all my old Migos. So I, I think it's neat. That's that's my Christmas wish. I want some of those old Migos. I beat you to the bunch. I bought the the Superman one from the uh, website. Ah. <laughs> that's the one Migo I had as a kid. I had the Superman Migo. That's cool. And I don't want to go down that road of starting to buy those after I went back to the superpowers. I think I'm done with the superpowers, at least for a little bit anyway, because I've seen the next wave and there's nobody in it that I'm interested in. So. Who's in the next wave? Um, Nightwing. I want to say Deathstroke. Mm-hmm. And I forget beyond that. Let me see. I'll do a quick. I'll let Paul go and I'll. See if I can find out. All right. So, because you're not finding this to be interesting, podcasting. I mean, I would let you go as far as your your Christmas wish. Ah, okay. So, my Christmas wish is Action Comics number one, but that's been my <laughs> Christmas wish for for fifty some odd years. Um, you know, it's funny. Like, I guess my realistic Christmas wish is I would like to get a good indiana jones figure to put in my uh, curio cabinet i saw they have a uh on amazon they have a uh, what's his name who, who's the, the little annoying guy who grabs the thing and burns his hand uh oh, tote. Tote. tote they have actually a good tote figure and i was looking at it and then tina was like oh did you know did you want that and i was like i don't want that by itself if it was next to a good indiana jones yes so I looked for what Indiana Jones they have, and they look like shit. So disappointing that, that I haven't seen a good Indiana Jones figure out there. Especially now that the new movie's coming out. You'd think they'd have something good. You would think. You would think. How about you, Dave? Any any Christmas wish? I would like to get a vintage, great condition, uh, superpowers penguin figure. Hmm. Because that's one of the, well, I mean, I would like a Captain Marvel figure, too, but I'm trying to keep it realistic. It's funny, every time, I I make the kids crazy, because every time they ask me, what do you want for Christmas? My answer to them is world peace, and then they get really (laughs) mad at me. Yeah, because petrochemical refinery states too long to put on a license plate. It's a piece of the world. All right, how do I pull the video? Man, I suck at this. The video of our You do call. suck. can't see it. The video of this call? Yeah, oh, there it goes. Okay, yeah, because I want to be able to... Is that... Oh, there you go. That's not a bad-looking one. It's a six-inch. I'd like... Or not even. It's like a three-inch. You want I'd like it? To get a little, I'd like to get a little bigger. That's not bad. Oh, you want I would, bigger I would, than that? Yeah, I'd like something a little bigger, like like a ten inch if I if they had. But Indie Envy you. over here. Indie Envy. Well, when I when I have tried to list my movies from you know like my top movies ever, and this this is probably going to anger some Star Wars people. Uh, the Godfather is my favorite movie of all time, and I kind of think of it as The Godfather and The Godfather Two being one movie, and then. When I came up with my second favorite movie of all time, 
the most recent one I came up with Raiders of the Lost Ark is like my second favorite movie of all time. So again, that might upset some of the Star Wars people, but it is right up there. I'll upset everybody. My favorite movie of all time is Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> That's only because they never ha- they have yet to make Smo- uh, Sheriff Lobo the movie. That's right. I'd be all over that with the action scene. Yeah. yeah, and 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 you, you, I think your Christmas wish should be for the Sheriff Lobo paramilitary Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> At least it would probably be funny. At least to me. I would do Cadillac it, you know, Seville with removable top included. If they if they would get Sheriff Lobo to do it with Aldo makeup on, I'm done. <laughs> oh God! All right, guys, I think that's it. And my other wish is that all our listeners have a great Christmas. Absolutely. Yes. Bye bye. And to all a good night. <laughs> I wish you'd shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. And we'll see you next week.